Okay, welcome to Free Association. Uh, I've been writing a monologue of sorts this afternoon over a cup of coffee. And it took me two cups of coffee to to get about 12 minutes worth of monologue written, which isn't too bad. That's just over five pounds in coffee. One of them was a freebie though. If I'd been paying for it, it would have been five pounds. So let me just go through what I've written. And it's a, it's a combination of... I, w- I was working on a, a new format yesterday, which is a combination of two formats, really. Uh, I'm calling it Zeitgeist. So it's a combination of a music show with some news clips and old Kennedy speeches and Martin Luther King speeches and that sort of thing. So classic kind of news clips and political speeches and and iconic stuff like that. So the idea is to weave the two together. And I, I got as far as coming up with two or three different combinations of Eisenhower, Kennedy and Martin Luther King using old Santana tracks and the great gig in the sky. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be working on that at some point soon. But this afternoon uh, I wrote something else. So this becomes a monologue for Saturday. Unless I come up with something else in between, which is always possible. So somebody last week in the chat room on Saturday afternoon said variety is freedom because I was talking about doing a lot of different types of shows rather than just one show that repeats every single week with a little bit of variation. There's always variation in them, but I don't want to keep doing the same format exactly the same way. So what I want to do is change the content, but also potentially change the format a little bit as well. Uh, so, so variety is freedom is where I started from. Uh, freedom of choice. So to some extent, freedom is choice, but choice can be conscious or unconscious. Conscious choice is fairly obvious. It, it feels like a personal decision. Whether it is or not, I'm not altogether sure because a lot of what's happening is unconscious. So unconscious choice it shows up as synchronicity. It's you go where the next thing is to go, which is the way that I do my Saturday nights usually. So then I was asking a question about, is everything synchronicity? Is, synchron- is synchronicity an emergent property of a complex system? So the answer's probably yes to that. And synchronicity is pattern recognition, is pattern matching. Uh, Pattern matching is also uh, related to paranoia, incidentally. So the two things, synchronicity and paranoia, are two sides of the same concept, which is pattern recognition. So then I moved on to, to thinking about Uh, synchronicity on an individual level, which I've talked about, on a community-wide level or a tribal level. 
So on a tribal level, it looks like a political process. On a national level, it looks like a combination of political processes and social processes and all of those things. On an inter- on international level, it looks like negotiations between nations for trading agreements and that sort of thing. Uh, passport arrangements, um, arrangements between European countries for, for paying out pensions and stuff like that. On a global level, it amounts to negotiations and conversations between the World Health Organization, United Nations, um, all those types of multinational organizations. So the idea of synchronicity at a global level is that there's a process which produces the next thing that happens. And some of that is conscious, some of it isn't conscious. But it looks from the outside as if it's conscious. And it looks from the inside as if it's conscious. But actually it's an emergent property of a complex system. Uh, with lots of different motivations, some of which are reasonable, some of which are perverse for the society that's involved or the tribe that's involved or whatever. So there are there are profit motives and rent-seeking. So it looks, looks like the emergent properties of a complex system... Uh, over the last three years, we've we've had a emergent properties based on false false beliefs about the nature of disease and symptoms. So all of the genetic and virus based research false assumptions have been in a process that produces an emergent process, conscious process of. COVID and COVID vaccines and symptoms and testing and digital ID and all of those types of things. So it's technology plus biological processes plus scientific method plus a whole lot of other things that produces the next thing that happens. And some of it's consciously driven by bad actors some of it's an emergent property, some of it's a a normal kind of human need to look after the family and look after yourself and get a bigger house and have a, a bigger pension and have more holidays. So all of those things are part of the process and they're not reasonable on a small not unreasonable on a small scale. When it gets to larger scale, the perverse incentives become an issue. Because you're talking about countrywide or multinational perverse incentives. So in the case of COVID, it was it was profit incentives for the pharmaceutical industry to push through genetic technology, gene editing technology, which isn't actually a vaccine at all but it was described as a vaccine to get it through under emergency use authorization. 
So that's all, it's fraud and it's it's criminal and it needs to be sorted out on that basis. But it's also an emerging property of a complex system. So what I wrote was, within the system are perverse incentives, bad actors, sociopaths, which have to be included, but to allow the system to function. So there has to be some kind of disruptive piece to the system, otherwise it would just stagnate. Nothing would ever change, nothing would ever really happen. There has to be disruption. And uh, all of those things, bad actors, sociopaths, perverse incentives, are all disruption. They're all disruptive. Mistaken assumptions are being replicated at a global scale. Criminality at a global scale. An example of that is the CIA and the Mafia working together during and after the Second World War. And being driven by profit and fear of communism. So it's reinforcing capitalism, but based on criminal criminality and insecurity and the trauma of the war and a certain amount of hubris uh, with the dualistic assumptions underneath it because they'd just been fighting a war. So the war produces more dualism. It's born out of dualism and it produces more dualism for the next generation. And the it takes three generations for the trauma of war on that scale to, to play through. So we're still in the middle of it, basically. We're only 70 years on, 80 years on from the Second World War. So we've still got another generation to play out. And we've got another uh, harmonic of that process rolling through now. So there was a technocracy in the 20s and 30s, the 1920s and 30s, which is coming back along with the trauma from the Second World War and it's playing out as a response to communism followed by a period of calm and then a period of transhumanism, which is technocracy and eugenics combined so it's it's a combination of the things that were there a hundred years ago so we're still living in the trauma of human consciousness on a global scale it's in the collective unconscious so I was thinking about how to remove it from the collective unconscious but how much of it is projected out how much of this is my projection of my own trauma is another question that I was asking myself. So the next part of this is psychological splits being projected out and the absence of psychological splits, so monism and dualism. So if there's no psychological split, then you can integrate the world, you can integrate what looks like good and evil into a, a process. And in both of these cases, we're assuming imagination creates reality. In the case of dualism, the assumption is reality is, is good and evil. 
and that produces a need to protect protect yourself against the perceived evil, the perceived threat. Uh, and if you protect yourself, then you become somebody who's dangerous to somebody else and they have to protect themselves and the whole thing gets manifested out as good versus evil, but it starts from the perception of a th- an external threat that maybe doesn't exist. Once the process is in motion, it, it starts to exist, but it didn't begin that way. So the perception of good versus evil produces the manifestation of good versus evil. So that can play out as uh, disease and vaccines, viruses, are basically a, a different word for evil spirits. And if if you've got an evil spirit that produces disease, you need a counter to it. If you don't, if viruses don't exist, which they don't, and they don't produce disease, then you don't need to counter it. You don't need to protect yourself against something that doesn't exist. Same thing applies in war and conflict. It's perception of an invisible enemy is what was happening during the Cold War. So from the monist perspective, again, the assumption is imagination creates reality. Uh, My assumption is everyone and everything is God or good. So if if there's nothing to protect yourself against, then everything is basically good. There might be some subcategories of good that aren't as good as other things that are good but they're not intrinsically evil they're just manifestations of a process of good and evil within the context of the whole system which is good so without without the need to protect yourself you just manifest good you perceive good everywhere in various forms even when it looks like it's not quite good there's still some good in there and from a modest perspective you could you can accept everything because it is what it is and question everything so i'm not sure how much of what's What's being manifested in the world is is based on monism and how much is based on dualism, how much is based on the psychological split that produces dualism. So I've kind of made an assumption that it's 25-75. So 25% monism, 75% dualism, but that's all open to discussion. I don't have a clue really. I just had to make an assumption to get started on and that's what came into my head. So I was thinking about the process and the process as we're going through it at the moment is uh, um, it's, a, it's, it's dualis- dualism being made conscious. So it's a subconscious dualism that was manifesting being made conscious and then once that's being made conscious then the split can be healed. So once we start to see, once you start to see the enemy, you can start to think about whether it actually is an enemy or not. Sometimes it might be. Sometimes there might be a genuine threat there. 
At other times, it's a projection of the split, the psychological split. But once once the dualism is conscious, then it can be transformed, it can be translated into, reframed into conscious monism. And conscious monism is a way to to heal the trauma that produced the, the dualism in the first place. So, and then once that's happened, then it'll become unconscious monism as opposed to unconscious dualism, which is what it is at the moment. So that's that's the way that I think the process is going. Um, it took me two cups of coffee to come up with this stuff, so I'm hoping it's going to be valuable to somebody. Uh, I'm going to stop there. I've got another couple of pages, but I'm going to stop there. <laughs>